straight from the WCHL studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, 97.9 The Hill presents the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show with your hosts Chris and C.L. Brown. Tonight, the brothers debate college football upstarts, basketball's one-and-done era, and welcome Nicole Auerbach, national college football writer for The Athletic. And now, your ticket to the backyard brawl, the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show. I'm back, here to tell you in my unmistakable diction, I may have hemmed it up with the boxing world champion back in the happy day, but this heavyweight battle has reached round two, and we're going to see no punches pulled. In this corner, senior writer from TheAthletic.com, CBB, transliterated college basketball, C.L. Brown. In that corner co-author and co-host of Thunder Sports Network, the book and juice TV show, Christopher Brown. Gentlemen, start your punching pensions. It's sibling rivalry sports. CL. Thank you, Howie. Let's get it. <laughs> get I'm, I'm, I'm amped up. I mean, we've got we've got an exciting show. We've got Nicole Auerbach, my yes. colleague from The Athletic, national college football writer, mm-hmm. on later. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the time of year, man. We got the rivalry. The Steelers going into Baltimore. Come on. To show these chumps how to play some football. We gonna see. <laughs> we gonna see. We got college basketball tipping off next week. The next time we have a show, we can talk about results. We don't True. have to talk about what may or may right. not happen. We can actually start talking results. So It's been a long time coming, huh, CL? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nice. All right. Well, let's talk about the results right now of the big playback. The topic this week for the big playback in the realm of college football. Are these new jacks for real? Kentucky, Northwestern, Virginia, are these teams legitimate? Man, I've been looking at Kentucky football for a while, having having worked in Louisville. And when they went in and beat Florida to start this season... Having lost 31 straight to Florida, that changed the total trajectory of the of the team. I mean, I remember I remember when they had a song. Uh, somebody on their team a couple of years ago did a rap song, and and I think the starting line of the song well, it wasn't the starting line, but one of the lyrics that stood out in the song was "We tired of losing." <laughs> <laughs> always cracked up that we tired of losing. We ain't gonna like, lose no more. There's basically a mentality that you have to get over in Kentucky football, you know, because of the history of it not being on this level that they're that this kind of having the kind of season that they're having this year. Sounds familiar. So <laughs> so when they went in and kind of stole that game basically from Missouri, winning on the last play. Literally questionable stole it. pass interference call. Definitely pass interference. Those were the games that Kentucky would lose in the past. Okay. So and and, okay. and that L S U game years ago comes to mind where they're they're dumping a bucket of water there on, on Guy Mars, the head coach, as LSU's receivers catch you know Ricochet Hail Mary pass and running in for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Students were already starting to climb over the wall to be <laughs> oh, ready man. to run on the field, and LSU snatched that victory away. Wow. So wow. that's been Kentucky football in the past, but this is a new year. 
Uh, it's a new year, and I will say of these three teams, I would say that Kentucky is the most legitimate. And Mark Stoops has brought these boys up the the last six seasons or so. They've had the two winning seasons by one game the last couple seasons. So he's brought them, he's built them up to now. And so I, I do think that they've earned their way here. The, the question, though, so legit as in a solid team, I would agree. But legit as in a contending team, no, no way. I mean, we're going to see that Saturday when they go down to Georgia. That's going to be uh, an awakening moment. I'm sorry. I just, that's what I think. I think it's going to be an awakening moment for the guys. And then they have a breeze of a schedule, and they'll go and they'll do great in whatever bowl game they're in. It's just n- nothing more than that. Even if they did get past Georgia somehow, what's waiting for them in the SEC championship? Of course, it's Alabama, <laughs> but but just to get to that point will be a huge accomplishment sure. for okay. Kentucky football. And I'm not discounting them at Georgia. I mean, I do think Georgia should be favored, but I believe you know Benny Snell is is a top notch running back. Love that, that guy. Kentucky love hearing has. that guy talk. And, and and he plays with a big chip on his shoulder, being an Ohio guy who who grew up wanting to go to Ohio State. So he's he's out to prove every carry that he should have been recruited by. <laughs> you know, playing at a higher higher level, but um, Kentucky, I definitely think you know they have the confidence now, which you couldn't always say in the past. But what do you think about Virginia? I mean, they've taken control essentially of the ACC Coastal. This yes. is this is crazy to me to see. I know. A lot of people picked them to finish last, <laughs> last. Rightfully so. Didn't didn't Bronco Mendenhall at the beginning of the year talk about he only had like twenty six? Essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was like he has twenty six scholarship players. Like he only had a yeah. you know a handful of legitimate guys. Was that le- okay? Was that accurate? I, I I don't I doubt the veracity of that. I don't think he was saying literally. Oh, I think he was just saying okay. like you know like last year when Roy Williams said he put together my big men. I still don't have a big man. Holy Roy. Well, uh, so, yeah, they, they they are, you know, controlling their own destiny pretty much in the coastal. I would say this about Virginia. I think Virginia is a very legitimate team in this division and in this season right now. I think Virginia will go to the ACC championship, and then we know what Clemson's going to do to them. But I, I just say that they'll get there, and I believe that they will beat Virginia Tech. It, that, that game is probably going to have a lot of, you know, implications. That they're going to beat Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech has not been nearly as consistent as Virginia's. A lot of people are so upset when Carolina went up to Virginia and lost. But I got to say, they were facing a team that's been playing great defense and very consistent football in their stadium with with Carolina reeling and and, and trying to recover from some things. So that was that was a that was a tall order. It's not like Virginia. Virginia's a solid team, six and two, four and one in the conference. I, I like what Virginia's done. And I think that they're going to continue to do it up until that day that they meet Clemson. What about Northwestern? We're watching them. They they took control of the uh, Big Ten West. I, I when when the Big Ten first came out, I forgot what they used to call these the champions and the leaders divisions. Um, <laughs> yeah. I used to call it Ashy and Classy. Classy was the division <laughs> with Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State, you know, and and 
the <laughs> the ashy division was was now what's called the Big Ten West with Northwestern, Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, Nebraska, Minnesota, Illinois, and Purdue. So, I mean, to me, it's always going to be the lesser of the two divisions. But you would expect Wisconsin has been a power. You know, you would expect. Iowa even to be up there and we're still waiting for Nebraska obviously with Scott Frost now in Nebraska maybe their trajectory will be different but uh, Northwestern is 5-1 and one in conference play yeah with three ahead. games left. And one of those games is Illinois. One of those games is at Minnesota, which Minnesota is one and four in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, the only real test is playing at, at Iowa. Iowa. And Iowa is, is three and two in the league right now. So to me, it's not a stretch. But first, I mean, they they busted Wisconsin 31-17 last True. week. So, they, you True. know, in their house, nobody's handing them anything right now. But True. I think we're going to see the Northwestern Wildcats up here in that Big Ten championship game. Uh, I agree. Um, I, I think I even agree. And, and by the way, just the word ashy, you know, just the <laughs> different cultural connotations. I'm just going to let that float out there. I love it. But I, I, I even agree maybe with that categorization. I think we're going to see the classy rise up, though, when the time comes. I, I'm sorry. I just i am not there. I, I think that was an impressive win against Wisconsin, whom I think might also be a little overrated, if you, if you ask me. I think Iowa... Well, when, when Northwestern faces Notre Dame, Northwestern will, will put up a fight. They always do against Notre Dame. But I, I don't think that they're going to come out on top. But then they're going to have to go to Iowa. That is a tough place to win. I just don't see it happening. It doesn't matter, though. You're right. They're going to appear in that, that championship g- game. I personally, you probably think differently, but I think that championship game will be against Michigan, who, who's already beaten them. And I just think it will repeat itself. So The funny thing was, though, that was a 20-17 game, Northwestern. In Michigan and Northwestern was in that game, as the score indicates. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt they were in that game, and you know, also Michigan. That was at Northwestern, and you know, so Michigan will remember all of that and yeah. and come ready to play with that. Yeah, Northwestern didn't score D. in the second half of that game; they were leading seventeen seven. Killer D. But I, I'll throw one more team out there just for for fun, just to mention Washington State. Oh yeah, in the, in the oh, Pac-12. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. they had a huge win over Stanford at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the huge win was beating Oregon with College Game Day's crew Ooh, out there. That was something else. And so to come back and still be focused and, and beat uh, Stanford last week was big. And I think That's they have different. winnable games down the stretch. Yeah, they they do. Unfortunately, it'll be too much for them to kind of rise to the, the tippy top. You know, I I do think though that they're going to come out on top out there. You mean that, rise in the college football playoffs? Yes, yeah. I do. I do. Yet, yet, I mean, even coming out on on top out there, that's not necessarily so far in for Washington State. It's happened before, true, right? True. So. Good call, though. Good call. And by the way, I think that quarterback. I think that's your Heisman right there. That's just me. I think he's the guy. Just me. Okay. Well. Anyway, let's go to a break and talk to some friends that help us to be on the air. And then when we come back, we have a great guest, Nicole Auerbach. You do not want to miss this very interesting topic that we're going to talk about here on Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show on 97.9 The Hill. We're talking more college football, but we're bringing in a reinforcement this segment. 
Um, I once sat beside our next guest through a bad outing of Rutgers basketball, but those days are behind her and me. Currently, she's a National College football writer for The Athletic. We welcome Nicole Auerbach to our show. How are you doing, Nicole? I'm good. I'm doing better than that day that we had to sit in the rack. That was, uh, <laughs> I think the only sporting event or anything that I had sat through in that building, and it was probably worse than a high school gym, I would say. <laughs> I, I would tend to agree with what, that. What, like just sweltering? They're super hot or what? It's, like, tiny and cramped, and, like, I think we were even on, like, wooden bleachers for our seats for press row or something. I mean, it was just, it was kind of what you expect from when you think of, you know, Rutgers and facilities before they joined the Big Ten. Yeah, I was, I remember asking you about the best phone apps <laughs> at some point in that game. That's that's how the conversation uh, made a left turn. Well, um, <laughs> uh, back to football, though. Um, <laughs> so, Nicole, you had a great story on The Athletic on Monday about why coaching buyouts have skyrocketed. And, and there was uh, a particular part where, where you mentioned Larry Fedora here at University of North Carolina, um, his, his $12 million buyout. I was curious, through, through your reporting uh, of that story, just where do you see this going? Like, is there is is there going to be any kind of way for colleges to to uh, you know work work in clauses to kind of get from out of that, or are we just going to continue to see these these big time you know twelve million and up kind of buyouts in, in contracts? Well, I, I ask a lot of people that type of question. Um, you know, and I talk to sports economics professors, I talked to agents, I talked to athletic directors, and, you know, I had a couple of interesting conversations, you know, particularly with um, David Williams, who's the, he's the outgoing AD at Vanderbilt, but he's been there for a long time, he's a law professor, and, you know, he obviously made the initial point that you can't get everyone to agree to cap buyouts at certain figures, because that would be a violation of antitrust law, but there are different ways that people are getting creative with financial incentives. Um, and this didn't end up making the story, but maybe this is part of what the future can be if you kind of change some of these contracts around. I mean, you could certainly change the way that um, that bonuses are done and and maybe some of the, the tails of these contracts. They, they need to be long-term because it affects recruiting. You need to have... We've heard this so many times in every sport that if you only have like a one-year deal, you can't recruit because the kids and the parents don't want to go somewhere if you're not going to be there much longer. So, you know, that, that's why the money is so big because you are giving long-term deals. And a lot of these agents are very savvy and they're getting guaranteed money involved. But you could do other types of incentives, other types of long-term things. There's part of like, this is interesting to me and just didn't make the story, but Jim Harbaugh's contract has something about his life insurance is covered. And then when he passes away, like the money that goes towards that then goes back to Michigan. I'm, I'm not explaining this well. But there is a very interesting provision in there about his life insurance policy. And I hadn't seen that elsewhere. And I talked to a couple people, you know, throughout the reporting of my story. And they, they, that was new to them, too. But it's a creative way to kind of like defer the cost oh, yeah. for the school later on. So, so there's definitely some like different types of creativity that people could go. Um, 
And, you know, you could also have athletic directors that push back at more guaranteed money or let guys walk instead of, you know, ponying up when they're getting a competing offer for something. But, you know, these athletic directors and these boosters and people, you think you got the guy and you're going to do whatever you can to keep them. And that's kind of what happened with Larry Fedora, you know, on the heels of a great season. You get sign an extension, and then all of a sudden, now you're in the midst of your second really bad year in a row, and you're stuck because you signed, you agreed to that big extension just a couple of years ago. Well, you know what, Nicole, I want to talk to you about Carolina and Larry Fedora, but I, I first want to ask, what do you think about the potential of a win threshold being in these agreements? What about that? Uh, if, if we're going to, you know, if if we're going to pump out so much money in a guaranteed deal, could there not be, you know, the stipulation of the, the win threshold is four games, five games or something like that. If it dips beneath that win threshold, then we have the option to nullify this or that. What, is, is that just outlandish or what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely possible. I'd have to, you know, I, I, I didn't talk about that specific scenario with other people, but, you know, all of that in creative ways like that where you could say if you don't meet these thresholds, then the buyout dips to this amount or whatever it is, you would just that would be all decided in negotiations. And, you know, these agents and these athletic directors with AEDs are usually the ones doing this on behalf of school. You know, you're, you're negotiating everything together, and so you're picking and choosing, you're giving on that, you're, you're pushing back on this. And so, you know, you could certainly try for that, I think, but the agent side is we don't want anything like that because we want to give our guys the best opportunity to weather a bad year or two years and, and still coach and, and get through it. And so you could see that that would be a very hard thing to get both sides to agree to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's really messy right now. And I think maybe this year, because you, there's been so much attention on North Carolina and Louisville and the cost of the buyouts for the coaches there, that maybe people will think a little bit harder on, on how they're structuring deals on the front end because they're seeing, especially if neither school is able to make a change because it's too expensive, you know, then it really did prove to be a good deterrent. So we'll see. Um, I think that, though, people are more expecting, based on what we saw last year, and, you know, a lot of it was related to the SEC having a lot more money to, um, to, to pay buyouts, to hire new coaches, and pay them a lot of money. But a lot of money, there was over $70 million in buyouts last year, and people are not expecting that figure to go down. And even though this year the market might be smaller, there may be less good jobs open, you would still think that if they do open, there's going to be big buyouts attached. But there's still no money to pay players. That's a different That's a different show, <laughs> different topic. Well, actually, but it, it, it is part of it, though, and that was in the story, too. It, that's part of what creates the market in such a weird yeah. way for yeah. these coaching contracts. Yeah, that was mentioned. The, the story was actually pretty fascinating. I highly recommend it to people. There are many aspects of it that I hadn't considered. Getting back to Carolina, though, Nicole, North Carolina and Larry Fedora, let me ask you this, because you are, I just want to make sure our audience knows, you are a, a, a veteran uh, reporter and, and coverer of college football, USA Today, and now uh, doing doing it big with the theathletic.com. What do, you, what do you know of the last few games for Carolina? It, 
I will go ahead and say it is my opinion that Larry Fedora has the guys playing competitively. There are a number of mitigating circumstances with this season, with this team, you know, yet they are playing competitively in these recent games. I don't think it's just the bottom has fallen out. Have you noticed that? Do you think, do you agree with me if I said it is too soon to be considering these types of things with Larry Fedora, him exiting, buying him out, that type of thing? Well, you know, I mean, I think that that's certainly part of what those athletic directors like Bubba Cunningham in this situation are looking at because I've had many conversations with athletic directors, um, you know, kind of mid-season of a year where their coach was certainly on the borderline hot seat. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly something that they look for, which is like, are the kids checked out? Like, are they still playing hard for their coach? And especially in this type of situation with all the noise around it and obviously just understanding that they have a one and six record, you know as a player that you might be playing for your coach's job, right? So, you know, that's why it really signals something when kind of it looks like the team has quit on the season. Because if you know that you're playing for something like that and you care about your coach, you play hard. So I think that is something that's obviously very hard to quantify or grasp, but I think athletic directors are around these programs enough to, to tell and figure that thing out. What makes this situation really interesting to me is the fact that it's North Carolina, but it's football. So you know that there would be mechanisms to raise the money to get to the point where if you do want to make a change, you could. But are they willing to spend that money on football? That's that's the question to me. But I, I, I just think even if you see improvement, you see fight in your players, which is valuable, and you can defend that if you want to keep a coach around, at the end of the day, you also are looking at these records and just the lack of competitiveness against certain teams in your conference that you think you should be at least within a ballpark of. And so I think all of those elements become factors in the decision. Nicole, one thing that's so interesting about this story and this article is that it is a, a phenomenon that's happening right now. It's a, a long. You, you pointed out a lot of different scenarios, and it's it's just fascinating to look at. Yet it, it's it's also happened. It's trickled up to this point. I would say. Do you remember the scenario with Butch Davis, the previous coach mm-hmm. at North Carolina? Did he not have a buyout? Do you? What happened with that? Um, I actually do not know about that offhand, um, but. It's possible in some of these cases that was he fired for cause? Because if he was, then that would be irrelevant. Because then you wouldn't have to pay out. So that's what that would be my initial guess. But I'm not positive. No, no, actually, I, I don't think he was. He okay. So I remember. You, you something in your article triggered my memory. You said that coaches could be paid up until they find another job. There's stipulations oh, yeah. where they're paid, and that was happening with with Butch Davis. I specifically remember reading that okay. he was being paid until, actually, I think yeah, until he got the next job that he got. Uh, you know, people were saying, why is he still being paid by University of North Carolina? So I know that there was some type of buyout. That was 2007, 2008, or actually I think it's like a little after that, but that was at that point, do you think it was happening a lot or were we still in the very kind of embryo stages was, of this? Yeah, that was an earlier stage. I mean, you know, looking back even five years from now, the numbers were very different. And and I remember, you know, thinking we would see the first $10 million buyout and everyone freaks out and you, you would see seven and you'd see these big numbers. But now, no one's blinking an eye. I mean, you have people 
around Auburn legitimately convinced that if they need to raise $32 million to buy out Gus Malzahn this year, that they can do that with the boosters. Wow. And that's the craziest part about all of this. And uh, so I I think that it's definitely gotten to a new level. And I think that last year's market, just because you had so many big changes and you had, you know, Jimbo Fisher's guaranteed contract, you know, it's it's an outlier, but it's interesting because – know what that means if they have a down year and they want to get rid of him they're paying out the entire 75 million dollar contract so you know it, it's just kind of continued to escalate continued to get bigger and people have been willing to pay them in enough situations that now these are very standard in parts of deals and, and you're even seeing extensions which are, a lot of these are extensions that end up kind of backfiring or kind of putting you in a corner and you're seeing a lot of those with even Midway through a good season, coaches are getting extensions. Or, you know, coaches like Barry Odom, coaches that, you know, have been at places not that long, have done pretty well, but I don't necessarily think other people are coming calling for them, and yet they're getting these big extensions, and, you know, that's kind of where a lot of this money is coming from. So I, I really do, yeah, it's, it's, it's changed since the Davis. It's changed in the last five years. It's changed in the last three um, it just continues to go in one direction. And I think it's also, as you mentioned, a lot of these deals do have kind of offset clauses um, and mitigating factors that do, you know, maybe you do need to keep looking for work. Maybe whatever you get then does get subtracted from what the school's paying, et cetera, et cetera. So those are ways that are in there right now that sort of offset some of this stuff. Um, but again, a lot of these cases, the schools are paying a lot of money to get rid of that coach and not to have them coach there. I think I want a job at Auburn in, in the future. But um, so you think you want to be fired from a job, at Auburn, actually, or bought out from a job? Moving from the the coaches, people possibly want out to coaches they definitely want. And the college football playoff rankings released this week. Who do you see? Obviously, everything is going to change between this week and the end of the season. Well, not everything. I think Alabama is still going to be there. Safe to say, but. What, who do Not you see so emerging as the top four when, when all of this is said and done? Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to predict right now. Um, it's easier to predict kind of what we're going to see with the ranking show um, because, you know, you still have three undefeated teams outside of UCF, um, but three undefeated teams that we'll see in the, in the top four, and then you've got a lot of really interesting one-loss teams like an LSU team with the best win anyone has and Michigan, the best loss anyone has. Um, but I, I think what's going to be really interesting to watch kind of down the stretch here is what ends up happening if Notre Dame continues to stay in the playoff picture because we've had them sort of stick around midway through the year and kind of, you know, sort of have a spot. But the fact is if you have a playoff with Notre Dame, you're already costing one of the power conferences its spot. And this is a very lucrative college football playoff deal you want to be in it and all these commissioners and all these conferences agreed to be in it under the assumption that hey there's five power conferences and there's four spots so we know we're not going to be in it every year but i don't think people were happy at the fact that the sec had two spots last year Mm -hmm. and what if they get two spots this year and notre dame gets a spot what are you going to really leave three conferences out of this thing i mean i think then that would you know, there would be immediate push for expansion. But it, it, that's what's going to be interesting. It's kind of where Notre Dame fits in and kind of goes a wrench at things. And then we haven't been to this scenario yet, but what does it mean? What if Notre Dame is, is undefeated or has one loss? And obviously they don't have a conference championship. That's something to keep in mind and see what does that impact 
their chances too. So as someone who likes chaos, I'm just rooting for Notre Dame to stick around and kind of continue to be this thorn in, in the side of the playoffs. It's just see how the committee sees them and, and what happens when that is the case because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, well, I am all for the chaos if that means expanding it to at least eight teams in the future. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Well, our time is up. Nicole, we really appreciate you coming on with us. Yes, thank you. And we definitely want to get you back, too, at some point uh, when 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 this is turning real and we're talking about the real matchups in this college football playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Happy to do it. All right. Thanks so much, Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. Yeah, Young Metro, don't trust you. I'm gonna shoot you. Yeah. Yeah. Halloween. Taliban. Taliban. I'm gonna shoot you. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. We're talking college basketball now. Basically, since we started doing this, I've been waiting to get to this (laughs) point where we can dive into college hoops. I can't tell at all. (laughs) (laughs) So we have the opener, basically, of the season. There there are going to be a lot of games going on, of course. Uh, on on Tuesday, uh, November 6th, when, when college basketball tips off. But one I want to highlight is Kentucky against Duke in the Champions Classic. The other part of that doubleheader is Kansas and Michigan State. Hmm. But Kentucky-Duke, I'm looking at in a number of ways. One being, I feel like we're nearing the end of the one-and-done era as it's, as it's currently constituted, meaning the NBA has, is... The NBA rule dictates that kids got to at least, well, if they choose to come to college, it's got to be a year separation from their high school graduation before they can actually uh, be drafted by NBA teams. So they're working on that. The the, the momentum is there. It's going to change. It could be 2022 when it actually the the collective bargaining agreement is is, uh, comes up and it's renegotiated or it could be before then they could come to some kind of agreement and just change it. So Kentucky and Duke have done it better than anybody else in terms of getting those kind of kids that are one and done. And I wanted to ask you, just as more compared to me, as more of a college, of course, yes. uh, a casual fan of college basketball, how would you define it? Has it has it made you keep up less because you're not necessarily seeing superstar guys stay for three and four years before they go uh, pro? Or has it has it made? Is it about the same? Has it? made you keep up more because you at least get to see these guys, these super talented guys come in and play a year? That's a great question. I mean, definitely not less. Definitely not less. I, you know, uh, I mean, look, look, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Tar Heel, so I, I'm going to be very invested in college basketball. When I think of the one-and-done type guys, though, what I'll admit to you, CL, is I feel sadness. That's what I feel. I feel like, Why oh, sadness? because I just feel like I would love to see them more. Now, it doesn't make me turn off from the game or whatever, because you know what? The stories of some of these young men, I cannot blame them. I can't blame where they're coming from. But I just, I would love to see them more, you know, in that traditional road. You know me. You know I'm a traditionalist type of dude. So I'd love to see them play more seasons and and do it like that before going to the bigs. True, true. Now, the, the funny thing is, even when the rule changes, 
we're still going to see one-and-done type kids. I mean, and I go back to Trey Young from Oklahoma last year as an example. Nobody, uh, I will say nobody, I certainly didn't think he would be a one-and-done kind of player, but he played his way into the league. We can go a a different example. Tyus Jones for Duke in 2015. He had a perfect year. Like, I don't think he even thought he was going to go pro at the beginning of that year, but he had a perfect year. His stock was never going to be higher with with the NBA personnel people, so he went. You know, even Tony Bradley off the 2017 national title team for Carolina. Nice. I don't think at the beginning of the year he was uh, he was under the impression that this was just going to be a one year stop and I'm out. You know, but he too he played his way into the league. So but that's with Bradley, still going to be. Do you think? Well, this could happen at the beginning of the year. You mean? Yeah, not really. I, I didn't think so. Okay. I mean. Think about it. He didn't start. <laughs> he was still somebody who was coming off the bench. And he was a different kind of case than when Marvin Williams didn't start, to me, in 2005, that, mm-hmm. that year. And, you know, I, I felt like Marvin Williams had bigger talent than Tony Bradley did. Mm-hmm. But still, the, the, the case is the same. These guys played their way into the league. Okay. So um, I, I think that, you know, one and done hasn't been bad for college basketball. I don't, I don't, I'm not one of those people that believes that. And I think... As we go on, even with the rule change, I think we'll still uh, love college basketball the same. <laughs> Speaking of loving college basketball, I got to say, your recent uh, series, contrib- contribution to this series on The Athletic called Cut the Nets. So this series pretty much gives us scenarios for the teams that are contenders, how they could win it all, right? Yes. And so you did an article on North Carolina, the right chemistry can lift North Carolina to the national title. And I, I just wanted to point out that one thing I saw in there that I thought was uh, really awesome was the story of how they got Nerf guns and 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 they had the whole Dean Dome to themselves. That kind of chemistry is awesome. And when we talked at Media Day to a couple of players, I saw that again. I saw that same thing. What do you think? I mean, it, it's definitely important to have. Uh, it, it's <laughs> it's not going to win you any games necessarily because you are tight. But it certainly helps once once. Literally, once you start going through some things, uh, Kenny Williams, the senior guard, was was the one who told me about the story about the the Nerf gun fight and everything. And uh, they really, I go back to Joel Berry and Theo Penson last year, too. They really talked a lot about those two back-to-back Final Four years just being, it just, in their mind, they saw... Not only did they have the most fun playing basketball, they just saw how together they were as a unit. And so Kenny Williams was was big on saying, like, we want to continue that going forward. And I'll say this, too. I I can't remember if I said this over the air um, last week or not. But it was it was a stark contrast when. Uh, the 2017 national title team, the first weekend they played in South Carolina, Duke and Carolina's locker rooms were beside each other, right mm-hmm. beside each other. So mm-hmm. while we're going in doing interviews and everything, mm-hmm. uh, Duke's locker room was like an NBA locker room. Like the guys got along, sure. They got mm-hmm. along fine. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't that joy there. There wasn't mm-hmm. that just kind of, you know, I, frankly, immaturity, like college kids being college kids. Right. It was mm-hmm. like business. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Jason Tatum sitting in his corner. It was like business for mm-hmm. them. Carolina's locker room was more like collegiate. Like mm-hmm. it was like bubbly. Theo Pinson in there acting a fool, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> that lends itself to. How they play on the court, I, I do believe that. But 
Um, not to say that Duke is doing it wrong. I don't want to come off like I'm saying Duke is doing it wrong. And I think this team that Duke has this year fits that same Carolina model of the 2017 team where they enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. They enjoy being in college kids, mm-hmm. even though <laughs> a lot of them will have the kind of talent where they're not going to be college kids for sure. long. They'll have a chance to leave. All right. Well, nice insight there. They're going to enjoy it until they come to the Dean Dome. All right. Listen. <laughs> you wild. <laughs> listen. We, we, we got to go, though. Speaking of being wild, we got to go so that we can uh, give give our friends time to talk and, and then come on back for some referee rich. Stay right here and keep it locked. 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. We're chilling right now with referee Rich Hallstrom, co-author of Thunder Sports Network. Rich, how are you doing? I am doing well, gentlemen. I brought the flag, and I'm not afraid to throw it once again this week. That is what you are known for. Let's just get into it and get it going. This Rivalry Week Part 2 episode of Referee Rich. What you got, Rich? Baltimore versus Pittsburgh in Baltimore. Question number one, who has the better coach? You want me to take this one? I'll take this one. It's Mike Tomlin. It's not even an issue to me. Mike Tomlin in his 12th season. This is his 12th season. Never had a losing season. Two-time AFC champions. One-time Super Bowl champion. Eight of those seasons, he's had 10 win seasons. And if you ask me, if it wasn't for that man, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, well, those men in New England, the legacy of Mike Tomlin would be would be different because Pittsburgh would have been to more Super Bowls. When you talk about a head coach, you want to talk about someone who can inspire, someone who can get the best out of his men consistently, someone who doesn't have a bunch of speed bumps like, I don't know, stepping on a field to stop a kick return going for a touchdown? Not for his players. He fights for his players. (laughs) Not cheating. Uh, John Harbaugh is the best coach here, hands down, when it comes to inspiring his troops. Does it year in, year out. Six out of ten years. There's a five-year streak there going to the playoffs. Six out of ten going to the playoffs. Uh, One game out, three out of those other ones. One game out of the playoffs. And I could talk to you about some referee calls with that one. So I think John Harbaugh has made a great case. And he's also undefeated in the Super Bowl. Not 500, not getting blown out, undefeated. Got to give it to CL. The numbers don't lie. And the Pittsburgh Steelers on the forefront of providing opportunities for everyone to be a successful coach. Got to give it to you, CL. Question number one. What's next? Question two. Who has the better outlook for the remainder of the 2018 season? Well, I mean, you know, again, so we're talking about outlook. We're talking about what's coming up when you look at schedule, when you look at games. And I just have to say that the Ravens have a much better outlook. The Ravens have only three games on the road. They have five games at home, including uh, two out of the next three, three out of the next four, if I'm not mistaken, they have at home. And some, some of the games at home aren't against teams that people think are going to qualify for the playoffs. I'll put it that way. And Now, that does include, you know, two crucial games against Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, yet they are at home. The Ravens have their backs against the wall. The Ravens are ready to fight and show everybody what the Ravens are made of. And I believe because of that, the Ravens have a great outlook for the rest of the season. The Steelers have have a great outlook, too, for the rest of the season. It's because 
Pittsburgh always has, st- well, I should say historically under Mike Tomlin, they start the season slow. But once they get on that roll, it's it's a snowball going downhill. And I believe we're about to see that. We're seeing it right now. Three-game winning streak coming into Sunday's game against Baltimore. James Conner has made people forget about Le'Veon Bell's situation, holding out, staying out. And he's he's produced a hundred yard run, rushing games the last three weeks straight too. Not against so the Ravens. Pittsburgh is is in their element right now. The front seven on the defensive end is playing a lot better, and and and, and frankly, it's making up for some of the holes in the secondary because they're getting more pressure on the quarterback, and they're doing things to disrupt offenses. Chris Brown, I got to give it to you. Because I think the Baltimore Ravens have the overall better defense. I and I think the fact that they are going to have to play a majority of their their games down the stretch at home, that favors any team. So I would have to say the Ravens have the better outlook. I will give question number two to you. Yes, which first come, time ever. Which makes it which makes it come down to the turning point question. Question number three. The all-important question, who will win on Sunday? Who will win on Sunday? CL. The Pittsburgh Steelers will win, period, point blank. I I really (laughs) don't feel like I even have to discuss this any further. I mean, Baltimore is reeling. They're they're backtracking right now. Losers of the last two, uh, what was it, New Orleans and and then Carolina last week. And so Pittsburgh's about to make it three. Three's the magic number. <laughs> and yeah. I'm gonna tell you why too, because uh, Pittsburgh ahead. in that yes. first the first meeting, they weren't where they are now. They're still September games. I'm telling you, September games under Tomlin. They're still kind of getting their feet wet, learning each other. The offense is clicking now, the defense is improving. Steelers by four. Okay, so, uh, you know, the reason that I would say the Ravens is that uh, the Ravens, uh, you know, you say still is in September. I say Ravens in October. Ravens in October are traditionally just terrible since they're really the worst in the league. But that's because all the games are on the road, basically. So, anyway, the Ravens are coming back home, backs to the wall, are ready to be ferocious. Nothing has changed. In fact, getting a couple guys back, including cornerback Marlon Humphrey, he's, he's going to be coming back here eventually on defense and getting that defense to full strength. The Ravens. Ravens are going to do it with defense and surprise with offense. The Ravens have a better defense, and they're going to bear down. I think the Ravens have the best chance on Sunday. And the winner is Chris Brown. Yeah! Because of question number three. The Ravens have the better defense, and the Baltimore favored by three at home. Traditionally, NFL has the home field advantage. That's the best home field advantage in sports. True. Chris, you win. Yeah, finally. Thank you, Ref. And again, I just want to say uh, you can always go back and review the tape. I'm sure there are a lot of flags in there that you could throw on CL. Unfortunately, we are out of time right now, though. So thank you for joining us, Rich Hallstrom. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. Anytime, anyplace, gentlemen. We'll take you up on that. And we have to get out of here, but uh, this has been a great show. So thank you for tuning in. Please come on back next week. We're going to have another one. This is Chris Brown. I'm C.L. Brown. And this is Sibling Sibling Rivalry Rivalry Sports. Sports. See you next time on 97.9 The Hill.